0: You are listening to Analyze Asia with Bernard Leung, the podcast dedicated to interview thought leaders and industry players to understand and dissect the pulse of technology, media and business in Asia. The show is sponsored by Ideal Workspace, which promotes a healthier way of working through their adjustable standing desk. You can visit their website, idealworkspace.com. Hi Cheryl.
1: Hey Bernard!
0: How are you doing?
1: I am well, how are you?
0: I am well too. We are talking to Cheryl Yeo, the CEO of MAGIC. So Cheryl, you started off from a corporate career to a serial entrepreneur in the US. And you did two startups, City Pockets and Reclipped It, which was subsequently acquired by Walmart. How did that happen?
1: Well, first of all, I wouldn't call myself a serial entrepreneur because I actually, this is the two products that I created are of the same company. So basically, City Pockets pivoted into Reclipit and then it was acquired by Walmart Labs.
0: What does City Pockets and Reclipit do? I mean, before the pivot and then after the pivot?
1: Yeah, so City Pockets, when we first founded it, it was meant to be the first digital wallet that consolidated all your daily deal purchases. You know, at the time Groupon was, it had just came out and then there was Living Social and in the US there was 800 other daily deal companies. We meant to build City Pockets as a way to help you manage all your purchases because they're a new form of currency that people were buying and the vouchers were expiring. So we helped them manage all the purchases. And then there was also a secondary marketplace where you can sell vouchers that you couldn't use in time. And that was what we raised funding on in the East Coast in New York City. And then I guess after Groupon IPO, the whole industry consolidated and there were a lot of holes actually in the business model that wasn't figured out yet. At that point, the investors were very skeptical about the whole daily deal industry. So we knew that... You know, it would be very hard to raise a follow-on funding for City Pockets if we stayed in that industry. Hence, we decided to make a very painful decision to shut down City Pockets and basically pivot to Reclipit, which focused more on the traditional coupon industry, which is actually very big in the US. But I think in Asia, it's not very couponing. It's not a, a big thing, but in the US, it's, it's, it's a big industry where, you know, it's Sunday newspapers, you cut out those little coupons, you know, $1 off Colgate toothpaste, that kind of stuff.
0: It's also in line with the period of time where the US economy is just recovering from the financial crisis, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I mean, but coupons have been around for a long, long time, actually. Mm. It's just been in a form of newspapers. So what ReclipIt did was, uh, you know, it kind of captured all the digital coupons online. You know, we we were in a time where traditional paper coupons were being digitized, right? And along with that, the retailers also had their weekly ads. You know, when you go into a giant, you get this handout that says what's on sale in store this week. So that was also being digitized. So what a lot of consumers in America did at the time was they they kind of stack the deals at the store and coupons so that they get a double discount. And so our app basically was a shopping list app that helps people find all those coupons automatically based on their shopping list and then they would bring it into the store to enjoy a bigger savings. Mm -hmm. So it it did help a lot of moms. So a lot of our customers at Reclipit ended up being the coupon moms, the the housewives who were trying to shop for the family, which is a very different demographic from City Pockets actually because City Pockets were daily deals which captured the young urban professionals on coastal cities whereas Reclipit was capturing more of the traditional stay-at-home moms who were shopping for their families. So the, the pivot was in the same similar savings space, but it was targeting a different group of customers.
0: And subsequently, Reclipit is acquired by Walmart.
1: Right. So Walmart, as you know, is, is the largest retailer actually in the world. And they have Labs, which is their innovation department, where they acquire a lot of startups so that they can innovate from within. Walmart has always had the philosophy of everyday low prices, right? But So they've been sort of not a fan of coupons. But because couponing has become such a trend in the US, the moms see it as a game that, you know, with, with every savings, they are you know, helping their family save money. So Walmart eventually has to accept that couponing is the way forward. Hence, I think it was the right timing when they came across Reclipit and our team that had a lot of of knowledge in coupons. So it was just, I I think a lot of acquisitions happen because of the right timing.
0: Mm. And what's life like for an entrepreneur after acquisition?
1: Well, I mean, of course, at first it was a relief, you know, after three and a half years of Bootstrapping. Uh, I mean, we raised about a million dollars in funding, a little more than a million, but it was a hard life as an entrepreneur for three and a half years. So I think after the acquisition, we were just glad to not be, you know, always on the ball. So, um, but we had a one year minimum obligation to basically stay back and integrate our product into walmart.com. So actually, if you go to walmart.com on the store page, you'll see our product there, uh, which is kind of cool. So a, a year, you know, a year in I, I wanted to commit a year staying at walmart which was great i know i ended up meeting a team of about 15 engineers and you know it, it was sort of like a, a personal break for me so it was good
0: mm. and then after that you continue with the pay forward culture like any entrepreneur you've been mentoring in the 20 under 20 the till foundation the founder institute the lean right. startup machine and 85 roads which um, i think for some of our audience don't know is actually a very well-known women's organization for women leaders.
1: Yeah, actually, I uh, was part of 85 Brats even before I was an entrepreneur. Okay. I think I was actually, because I was a, a part of 85 Brats and I was leading some entrepreneurial initiatives mm. there, including getting Eric Reese to speak at one of our virtual sessions. That kind of inspired me to be an entrepreneur, actually, mm. among other things. And then I was involved very early on with the Founders Institute as a mentor. So I flew to actually, I taught a, my first workshop in Singapore in 2011, I think taught in croatia and slovenia and whatnot and then lean startup machine i was also in the first ever lean startup machine weekend in new york city um, because i started my company in in new york and then i moved it to silicon valley after after that for for 20 and 20 it was an interesting proposition because i i've always been a little bit iffy about plucking kids under 20 giving them 200K and asking them to be an entrepreneur and sort of skipping college. So when they approached me to, to be a mentor, I was intrigued because I wanted to really understand the psychology of these young kids building a, a business at such a young, young age. So I went in there to help oversee the the social and psychological de- development of these entrepreneurs, young entrepreneurs, and I was quickly, quickly very impressed by them because I think they are child prodigies and they're absolutely brilliant and some are even more mature than than people our age, you know, in, in our 30s. Yeah, it was actually a really good program.
0: It's the International Women Week this week. Women in entrepreneurship uh, are a very interesting subject to talk about, particularly with a lot of uh, issues challenges that are faced by women entrepreneurs. Can you share some lessons that you have with women entrepreneurs out there?
1: Yeah, so first of all, my personal take on it is that I never think of it that way. I never think of my gender as preceding my occupation. So I'm not a female entrepreneur. I'm Mm. Just an entrepreneur, period. And the reason I say that is because I think when people get too self-conscious about their gender, it affects how they bear themselves, right? How they act in a room. You become self-conscious about what people think of you, whether or not you should do things differently. So for me, I just never think of it that way. I'm, I'm an entrepreneur, period. I think a lot of these conferences and whatnot, they're good to raise awareness. I just think that as an advice, I wouldn't focus too much on you know the fact that you're you're female and not mm-hmm. male as far as the the issues that women face in the sector if i really think about it yes there there is some difficulty in for example dealing with me- male investors and whatnot and there is some so one for example an investor meets you outside of business you know there is some i guess complication in terms of like um i you know are they asking you out on a date or are I, are they really listening to your pitch right that's one one issue and then the other issues are do they undermine your abilities do they question whether or not you can lead the same way men do for me again because i don't think like that i just go in there and and as long as you are confident and you really know your product and your market you will blow them away with your knowledge so i wouldn't think too much about i wouldn't over prepare for the fact that you're a woman and Hmm. i have never just never thought of it that way hmm.
0: that's interesting and i think that will be a different kind of insight that you can share with everyone out there i mean not just the women but also the men i guess the more interesting question i probably ask you what got you to come back from san francisco back to malaysia and then setting up magic
1: hmm. yeah this is a very popular question i feel like everyone is questioning why i came back as if uh you know coming back is such a bad thing but you know i i left malaysia 12 years ago to i guess 13 years ago now to to go to the u.s to study and i was awarded a government scholarship i finished my education i did come back to look for a job but there wasn't any any job for me so i went back to the u.s to 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 take on jobs there but i've always figured that, you know, when I've made it and when I've had some success, that I would find ways to come back and contribute to, to my country, right? It wasn't a really conscious thing. I think it was just a matter of, uh, there was the right opportunity when the Malaysian government met me in SF and basically convinced me to come back and helm magic and I figured that, you know, why not, right? Why not come back, you know, at least for a couple of years to see what I can do with my experience and my knowledge. And at the time, the government was interested in the linkage between Silicon Valley and Malaysia. It was very refreshing for me to hear that the government was so supportive in terms of startups and entrepreneurship. A civil servant even came to SF to meet Malaysian entrepreneurs and ask, hey, what should Malaysia do? What do you think from your perspective what do we need to do to move the needle for Malaysian entrepreneurs so I thought that was very very humbling to see that they they came down on the ground to seek our feedback and our advice so when they approached me for the position I, I figured that yeah you know when I actually when I came back to visit for a month i spoke at tedx kl i sort of went around to some of the accelerators like One Through 3 Seven accelerator i went to meet with MDEC. i met a couple of startups here and i was very impressed by the quality of entrepreneurs here and hearing the success of my taxi or grab taxi and soft space and whatnot i just hadn't i wasn't aware before that there was so many interesting startups doing really great things here so when i met them I was just kind of blown away by the progress that Malaysian entrepreneurs have made and I was very inspired to come back and be part of that.
0: So to help the audience, uh, MAGIC, um, the app is the abbreviation for Malaysian Global Innovation and Creativity Centre. What is the purpose and the mission of this centre?
1: Yeah, so MAGIC is built to support and develop uh, high growth entrepreneurs that can build regional or global businesses. We want to build a community that can, can sort of take advantage of the whole Southeast Asian market of 600 people, million people, because Malaysia is really just 30 million people. I think a lot of entrepreneurs here are comfortable building a, a local business, but we're really here to push them out of the country and say, hey, the, there's a world of a market out there for you to capture and leverage.
0: Mm, and it's only focused on tech.
1: Um, well, so I think this is some of the misconception, right? Oh, is magic just uh, each uh, tech-focused entrepreneurial agency? But the reality is that technology is advancing in such rapid pace right now. It is leveling the playing field for all businesses. So if, if a traditional business, if any business don't take advantage of technology, you will fall behind and you will lose out to competitors because the world is becoming borderless. So we want to say that Magic is supporting tech-enabled startups as well and businesses but you have to leverage technology. So we are supporting all industries and all verticals. So if you're in agriculture, you're in F&B, you're in retail, you're in education, transportation, as long as you leverage technology to scale and grow your company, that's what Magic's mission is to and sort of encourage more um, businesses to leverage technology to scale.
0: Mm. So is Magic at the moment is all in Cyber Jaya and in Climb Valley, is it? are you going to plan to expand it out or is it at, for the time being you're trying to build an ecosystem within the KL and then subsequently expand it out to other parts of Malaysia?
1: So when I first came back, of course, I wanted to learn what were the the issues in the ecosystem and the landscape. So I talked to a lot of players, a lot of VCs, investors, and also entrepreneurs and community people. I'm consistently getting feedback that VCs go to Singapore, go to Thailand, go to Indonesia, and they, they always sort of miss Malaysia and I was trying to dig out why. And it seems like they don't know where to go when they come to Malaysia. Do they, where do they go to, in Klang Valley? There's not really like a Block 71 in, in Malaysia at the time. right? When they go to U, the US, they know they either go to Silicon Valley or New York, right? maybe Seattle as well. But when you come to Malaysia, they know that there's a, there's some startups in Klang Valley, but they don't know where. So with Magic being in Cyberjaya, and that was a, a location that was mandated uh, before I even came in, We have a 100,000 square feet building in Cyberjaya. It's a little bit out of the way. It's not really central KL, but we have the space, so we, we should make the best of what we have. So the intent is that let's start building a critical mass in an area so that people know where to go when it come to Malaysia to meet all the startups. So yes, it is in the Klein Valley, it is in Cyberjaya for now, but we have plans to do some workshops, educational workshops in some other critical mass areas like Penang, Johor, Sabah perhaps. But um, I do want to make it clear that I think what Malaysia needs is a critical mass of startups in one location or two locations mm. because you, we need to build visibility. We've, we've always said that Malaysians, uh, Malaysia has really good entrepreneurs and good startups that have regional success stories. For some reason, they're not very visible, right? So I think one of Magic's mission is to... Literally put Malaysia on the map. Like it's time that we know how to market and brand our entrepreneurs who are really good. Um, how do you make them visible? How do you how do you create that critical mass where when people come, they know? Okay, let's go to Magic Cyber J- Cyberjaya to meet all the entrepreneurs.
0: Yeah, I think is to actually have a particular area that everybody basically gravitate towards. Too. I mean, if you look at Shenzhen for hardware acceleration, you can talk about Zhongguancun in China. Or, uh, some of our audience didn't know that the best place for startups in Korea is actually in Gangnam. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was one of my guests, Nathan Miller, was saying that actually Gangnam style is startup style, basically.
1: Ah, uh, that's so funny. Yeah,
0: so I think I think that the ability to basically concentrate people within the area actually helps. I mean, uh, Block Seventy One was is also a very good example. In fact, it's the same situation Singapore had. And I think now it's Block 71 is now a phenomenon within the Singapore ecosystem. But how about the programs that you have kind of started for MAGIC? Um, I think you have this E at Stanford program. What is that about?
1: Yeah, so I could actually maybe before uh, that, um, our MAGIC's three core activities mm. is, uh, basically to educate, expose and accelerate. So we have sort of three mm. main main things right so the es method program is under our expose program our expose basically uh, exposing Malaysian entrepreneurs to other ecosystems in the world and one of them is Silicon Valley which is arguably the most innovative ecosystem in in the world. So so that program is basically a two-week immersion program where we bring about um, between 40 to 60 entrepreneurs to visit startups in Silicon Valley as well as go through a one-week program at Stanford University through some entrepreneurial courses and you know pitching to VCs and
0: whatnot. Do you have other programs that you're going to come up to basically get uh, entrepreneurs to be involved
1: yeah so I think the, the Stanford partnership is actually a three-year three-prong partnerships so mm-hmm. one is we send we send entrepreneurs there we also send our professors here so next week we have a go-to-market program where four Stanford faculty will come here and teach entrepreneurs how to commercialize their IP so that's targeted more toward university research um, and IP related ventures and then the third program with stanford is basically a faculty trained faculty program where we send 10 university faculty to observe how entrepreneurship is being taught at stanford so that they can come back and redesign their entrepreneurship curriculum and programs at the local universities to you know, better inspire entrepreneurs. So that's part of our Silicon Valley exposure program. We also do have regional exposure programs where we are sending a delegation of entrepreneurs to um, Singapore, for example, for your Startup Asia and Echelon conferences, or Jakarta or Thailand, for example. So those that's part of our exposure programs. As part of our education programs, we launched Magic Academy in October last year, two thousand fourteen, where is is based. Of the concept that entrepreneurs do need certain skills to succeed at scaling their businesses. So, how do you build products? So, we will have a, a workshop in product management. How do you scale your ventures? So, we would have a workshop on growth hacking tactics or user acquisition methods using Google Ads or Facebook Ads. Um, we have a nine-week uh, coding bootcamp where we teach entrepreneurs how to code in Ruby and Rails. To the point where they can build their own MVPs. Um, so that's under the Magic Academy umbrella in terms of educating uh, hard skills to entrepreneurs. Because we didn't want to do another like sharing session or many many sharing sessions around. And we wanted to to do something a little different uh, in that sense. Mm. The third activity is the accelerate part where this is what I'm personally most excited about, and I think it could be a game changer for uh, Malaysia because it's a magic, the Accelerator program is, um, we're calling it MAP, the Magic Accelerator program. So it's a four-month program where it's at the ASEAN level. So this year we're launching it in July and it runs through November. We're accepting 50 for-profit startups as well as 25 social enterprises into the program. So there's going to be 75 startups per cohort and we're going to run two cohorts per year. And 40% of the composition of these startups are going to be from Southeast Asia.
0: How does Magic work with the already existing ecosystem and integrating people from who are already successful within their domains to help? I hear from uh, Malaysians have very successful companies. I mean, MOL is a very good example, right? They acquired Friendster. They have recently listed in the US stock exchange and a couple of the other like say media, etc. Yeah,
1: exactly. Most of all those people that you mentioned are our, uh, part of our mentor list for the for MAP, from the Magic Accelerator program. So they, they have committed X number of hours during the four-month program to come and speak one-to-one to a lot of these entrepreneurs. Some of them have set up funds, and uh, we're, working, we're still working on the details of how much they're committing toward our Accelerator program. So yeah, many of them are super excited, and they're coming together to contribute in, in a very big way as part of our accelerator program.
0: I forgot to mention, in fact, the first partner for Southeast Asia for 500 Startups is Kylie right?
1: Exactly, yeah. yeah. So we are we are working something pretty exciting out for that. It might not be um, a bad time to also mention that we actually do have a, a formal partnership with 500 Startups in the form of a growth stage accelerator called Cerebro, which we're actually going to announce pretty soon. So you're, you're the first one to hear. Oh,
0: okay, about. cool.
1: Yeah, so we're pretty excited because it's the first growth stage accelerator that's probably ever done in the world where you have to have raised a, a Series A to participate. And this program is specifically targeting the issue of, you know, a lot of startups that have raised money, they don't know how to spend their money efficiently. They either, they're either they either too conservative in, in growing the company after they raise money or they spend it on the wrong things when they have a leaky bucket. So Cerebro is meant to... Um, solve your distribution prog- uh, problems. So we have growth, growth distribution experts coming in to really walk these companies through what's the best way to uh, acquire users and grow the company. Mm,
0: that's interesting. In fact, I followed a uh, 500 startups distro uh, conference through YouTube, and I actually learned a lot about uh, how to generate distribution. And they are definitely the right guys to help you to scale uh, this part of the business. But moving on, in the more Malaysia. Do you see like any interesting areas where Malaysian startups are progressing faster? For example, I mean, there is, um, in Indonesia, people see a lot of things happening in the e-commerce and mobile space. In your experience, and of course, given that you have already navigated the Malaysia ecosystem for a while, have you seen some very interesting areas that these companies in certain domain areas are actually much more doing better than some others?
1: I think one of Malaysia's secret startups are, are in the fintech space. We have a lot of really good fintech companies. You don't really hear about them probably because they're a bit more backend and they're not very sexy, right? So they could be like, like risk management software or you know like soft space which is doing they're they're basically like square for asia however they they work with banks they're not a very consumer facing product right but Mm -hmm. they are they are producing a mobile payment solution and the fintech space definitely very popular and we have a lot of good startups there e-commerce for sure as well As, as you know like malaysia has the second highest credit card penetration after Singapore in Southeast Asia. So uh, e-commerce is definitely a, a big opportunity that we're seeing a lot of startups venture in as well. We do see a lot of newer startups that, are, that have pop- copped up over the, the past one year where people are looking at business models that have worked in the US or the UK and they're replicating it here, which actually I, I don't mind. You know, I think some people are criticizing that, oh, you're just a copycat. But in my opinion, there are so many variables of being an entrepreneur. There are so many points of failure that it is totally okay to take a business model that has worked elsewhere and replicate it, replicating it here because in Southeast Asia, it's such a white space opportunity for so many things that have not been built yet for entrepreneurs to take advantage of. There's, As I always say, you, you always copy first before you invent a new thing, right? It's, yes. it's, um, that's how you learn. That's how you, how you master the art of Of beginning good at something you copy something that's worked and then eventually you'll figure out uh, a new innovative technology
0: Mm. I mean the examples would be like Japan in the 1960s 70s where they basically learned from the US car they cloned and then they invented the lean engineering approach for the car industry and you see the same thing happening with China Um, before 2010 they were there were a lot of clones of the Google, the Facebook, uh, Amazon's and eBay's, and then subsequently now they are actually having their own innovation happening exactly. yeah. as well.
1: The more important thing, lesson here is that you, you can copy business models that uh, work or or you know concepts or products, but you localize it right. For example, My Taxi or Grab Taxi, which is arguably one of the the hottest startups around right now they've raised i think over 300 million uh, usd recently their business model so they're they're arguably kind of like an uber for asia right but their business model is completely different right uber is where you, you enter your credit card into the app and you are already paid you've already paid for it but knowing that credit card adoption is not very high in, in southeast asia grab taxis model is still cash based, right? You pay the, the driver cash and then the driver pays grab taxi a dollar or two depending on the ride, which is slightly different business model. But it works for Asia and I think this is where the entrepreneur needs to have the, the skills to learn what fits the local ecosystem and where are we because I think if you look too much to the West, it's we're not there yet. So we need to create this bridge solution where we're bridging the gap from where we are to where we will be in five to ten years.
0: Extending from Malaysia out to the greater ecosystem of uh, Southeast Asia, how do you see any like I mean, other than Grab Taxi, do you see other interesting startups that are up and coming that you think that will scale out of Malaysia very quickly towards the Southeast Asia?
1: Well, soft space as I mentioned just now, regional, you know, mm. I'm only two years old. Have you heard?
0: No, actually, I don't. Maybe you can tell me more about soft
1: yeah, it's, it's a regional mobile point of sale service provider. So it, it is literally like Square, you know, you plug in dongle. Yeah, a dongle into your phone and you can accept payments. Again, they have very smartly localized the, the whole system where, you know, Square goes direct to customers and merchants. However, in Asia, uh, a lot of the banks, a lot of the payments uh, systems are controlled by, by central banks. So they, they went about understanding that and basically uh, working through the banks to to get, uh, so it's, it's more like an enterprise um, business, but uh, then the banks will basically white label the product and, and get it out to their consumers. So they're only two years old and they I think they're processing about $1 billion in transaction already wow. every year. So they're fast, High growth company they acquired another startup called fast pay in october in 2014 and they were mentioned by TechCrunch for that and i think they're i believe they're now raising their series a so so they're really hot um the other companies that are are pretty they're up and coming i think Gal um they just launched in november 2014 and they recently raised 550k of seed funding in February. So this is just fresh, you know, off the press. I think they're a marketplace for professional services, so matching users with service providers. The shopper who also just raised 400K in January this year. They're an online store aggregator that provides users with recommendations based on your Facebook profile details, Mm. whether or not you've liked or disliked certain things. So a lot of these new startups that have just raised funding this year are coming up. Mm.
0: But okay, so how do you see Malaysian startups competing in Southeast Asia? I mean, um, Indonesia is now the hottest market because of the large population, large market size. Singapore is a financial gateway. Usually, I think it's more like the transaction gateway that extends out of Southeast Asia and also where I guess most of the money sits at the moment. How do you see Malaysian startups compete overall in this current landscape?
1: Yeah, so I, I wouldn't wanted- they we're competing because ultimately to build, you have to build a regional business, as I mentioned. So eventually, we will be in Indonesia. Eventually, we will be in Singapore and Thailand, and and so uh, the same for those companies right but the point here is that malaysia has always have a strong track record of producing really good entrepreneurs and regional startups you know like drop street was the largest exit in southeast asia so far over 500 million right they sold to seek.com you know our first ipo in nasdaq ml the largest funding round in southeast asia for grab taxi at you know i think 350 million Um, a lot of regional success stories so it's more that you know, I think we're, we're just seeing, we're not competing, but we're, we're producing really good regional entrepreneurs. And in terms of Malaysia specifically, I think the way I would sell Malaysia is that it is a good launch pad for a regional business because, the uh, you know, there are a few points, uh, perhaps I'll mention three. One is that it's relatively still low cost, you know, I guess compared to Singapore. We are, in terms of bootstrapping entrepreneurs, I think it's, it's much cheaper to launch your company out of malaysia and leverage all the infrastructure that's already here two we are um, also primarily english speaking and multilingual so i think it's you can take advantage of that and the fact that malay the malay language is very similar to the indonesian language but we also have the chinese speaking community and the indian speaking community um three is i think malaysia is i guess it reflects the, the whole Southeast Asian community a little better. So I think if you want to build a regional business, the the users that you find in the Klang Valley, for example, can better reflect Southeast Asia. Uh, it's also a good test market because users here are very open to technology, very savvy and very social, but they're not too high-end, right? So I think if, you're, if you are targeting the luxury market, the more high-end market, I think Singapore is a good market for that. But I think for a larger sort of Southeast Asian business, I think Malaysia could be a very interesting market to start off with.
0: It has been very, very interesting. I learned so much about Magic and also the Malaysian entrepreneur ecosystem as well. So for my audience, how do they find you, Cheryl?
1: You can find me at my Twitter handle, uh, at Cheryl Yeo, C-H-E-R-Y-L-Y-E-O-H. I guess you can also email me at Cheryl at mymagic.my or you can I guess don't, don't ping me on Facebook because that, that's my personal space mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> and they, they can actually email you there and if there's any interesting startups in Malaysia they can actually directly connect with you on Twitter
1: yeah definitely and LinkedIn as well you can search my name and you'll find me and you can connect with me there
0: and you can find me at uh, C W for my Twitter account and bernardleong.com. You can also follow us at AnalyzeAsia, A-N-A-L-Y-S-E, Asia, or our main website, AnalyzeAsia.com. And uh, we can be found in SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher. And please feel free to give us your ratings. I would love to hear whether it's one star to five star. So Cheryl, once again, thank you so much for coming on the show.
1: Thanks, Bernard. I was glad to, yeah, I'm glad to be on the show. It was great.